Let me begin this reflection on the 78th anniversary of the detonation of the first atomic bomb at Trinity Site in the New Mexico desert. With a quotation from a, a song for Nagasaki, a book by Paul Glynn, a Marist priest. A little excerpt reads, As a little light began to penetrate the gloom in the fallout shelter, they became paralyzed with terror. Two hideous monsters appeared at the shelter's entrance, making croaking sounds and trying to crawl in. As the darkness lifted, they saw that these were human beings who had been outside when the bomb exploded over Nagasaki. In less than a second, they had been skinned alive, 750 meters from the epicenter, and their now raw red bodies had been picked up and thrown into the side of the shelter. End quote. Since reading the above, in a song for Nagasaki by Paul Glenn, decades ago, I have for some reason often thought about those two human beings who were skinned alive by the atomic bomb dropped on Nagasaki and who died in unspeakable agony. Who were they? Were they men or women or both? How old were they? What were their unique personal histories of joys and sorrows? Who loved them? Who did they love? What were their hopes? What were their talents? We know so much about the intimate details of the lives of those who start wars, and so little about the lives of those who are ravished by wars. Yet, their lives are objectively no less miraculous and valuable than the lives of the celebrated people who cause wars, execute wars, and are the victors in wars by way of slaughtering a multitude of human beings. Today, we even publicize and are entertained by the lives of those who make the weapons of war. Over 30 years ago, I visited Lucerne in France, where the home and the cloistered Carmel convent of St. Teresa of Lisieux are located. On the way back from Lisieux, I stopped at a little town named Pontmain. In front of the church there was a large cross, large crucifix, the likes of which I had never seen before, and have never seen since. This large cross was entirely red, and the body on it was also entirely red. And besides those two distinguishing features, the sign above the body did not read 
I-N-R-I, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, but read instead just Jesus Christ. It did not appear to me as a pleasant image coming into the eye. Historically and aesthetically, it was for me an off-putting image of the crucifixion. Upon inquiry, I learned that the cross was not the work of some avant-garde French artist, but rather was erected in 1871 during the Franco-Prussian War after a one-time church-approved apparition of the Blessed Mother to five children who uniformly described the Red Cross to 30 adults who were present but who could not see anything other than a starry sky. I purchased in Port Maine a small replica of the cross. Every once in a while, I would look at its its form, its, 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 its redness, wondering about the significance of it. When later I came across the event quoted above from A Song of Nagasaki, I immediately sensed its spiritual relationship to the red crucifix with the red corpus on it. The Christians... The Red Cross, like all crosses, obviously had to do with the Passion of Christ, of which the cross is the ultimate symbol. For me, it also raised to consciousness the passion and death of the two human beings skinned alive by the atomic bomb in Nagasaki. The connection between Jesus' passion and death and the passion and death of those two human beings skinned alive by the atomic bomb was Jesus' statement, whatever you do to the least, you do to me. What that statement in part means is that Jesus, who is the incarnation of God, who is love, suffers any time anyone whom he loves suffers, as any human being suffers when someone they love suffers. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, suffering with us even in our most grievous pain. As there is an unbreakable bond of love between a mother and her suffering child, so unbreakable that she would give her life for the child's healing or even take on the child's suffering if she could. So also there is an eternally unbreakable bond of love between God who is love and who is incarnate in Jesus and every one of the father's sons and daughters and every one of Jesus' brothers and sisters. And so that when a child of God and a brother and sister of Jesus has suffering rain down on them, it simultaneously rains down on Jesus. This is what is meant 
when it is said Christ remains nailed to the cross until the last tear is wiped away. But there is more. When Jesus enters into the suffering and death of a loved one, the conjoining of the passion of each results in the redemptive love of God encompassing the victim's destroyers. For when a person's passion and death are united with the passion and death of Jesus, then the salvific prayer, which is forthcoming and that saves both victim and executioner, is integrally present. Namely, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father always answers the Son's prayers and those who pray with and in the Son to accomplish his purposes, namely, the salvation of all human beings from evil and death in the eternal communion of all human beings with God, who is love, by the means of love in the model of God incarnate. For those who are not Christian, the red crucifix is and should be the symbol universally associated with the atomic bomb and through the atomic bomb to all modern wars and weaponry to all, and to all who create and make them, first among whom are the scientists. Practically all contemporary weapons are dependent on scientists for their existence in this world. The atomic bomb of July 16, 1945, being a quintessential symbol of that fact. It is the scientist of the Manhattan Project, of Los Alamos, of Trinity Site, first among which is Robert Oppenheimer, that skinned alive those two human beings in Nagasaki. Without, without the diligent work of those scientists, those two hideous monsters who appeared at the bomb shelter's entrance, making croaking noises and trying to crawl in, and who had been skinned alive, would never have appeared as they did in human history nor would hundreds of millions of others who have suffered because of scientists putting instruments to induce pain and to bring forth death in the hands of politicians and military elites. Just about all modern weapons, atomic, nuclear, bacteriological, chemical, electrical, are totally dependent on human beings learned in the scientific method in order to bring them into existence. Robert Oppenheimer and his fellow scientists in the Manhattan Project skinned alive those two human beings in Nagasaki. They knew they were creating a tool for mass homicidal violence that would bring unendurable suffering and death upon unknown numbers of human beings.
that they did not know the forms of the suffering and death that they were bringing into existence is irrelevant. They knew what they were about. Making a gadget to bring about mass homicidal violence with all the unknown consequences that entails. Today in the United States, every science department in every university is highly funded, if not primarily funded, by Defense Department grants for the War Department's projects, all of which are ultimately aimed at skinning alive those whom it deems necessary to skin alive by some new scientific insight into the workings of the material universe. This, however, is not just the situation in the United States, but in all nine countries who possess nuclear weapons, as well as in countless other less wealthy countries who are working with their scientists on developing the equivalent of the poor man's nuclear weapon, that is, on developing biological, chemical, and electrical options for mass homicidal violence and for skinning alive humans who are enemies of their politicians and generals. Who among us can possibly grasp the experience of suffering and anguish and desperation of those two hideous monsters that appeared at the entrance of the bomb shelter and who were created by Robert Hoppenheimer and his scientific colleagues. No one can. Nor can anyone comprehend all the skinning, skinnings alive in which scientists from most of the countries of the world have been engaged Perhaps that red crucifix should be placed in every science laboratory and every science classroom in the world. Let us give those two wretched, anonymous human beings who were skinned alive by Robin Oppenheimer and his fellow scientists their place in history, a place respected as much as the place that is given to those who killed them. If we are not Christian, let us draw from historical oblivion these two human beings by identifying them with the suffering and plight of the red corpus on the red cross of crucifixion. If we are Christian, let us give them their proper value by identifying them as one of the least with whom Jesus is united in everlasting love. Let that red cross of homicidal violence be placed in every science class and every science laboratory in the world to be a universal call to scientists to use their talent for compassion and to stop using their genetically bestowed cognitive capacities in mathematics and science 
to bring pain and sorrow and death upon those like themselves. For Christians and non-Christians alike, let the presence of the Red Cross with explicit reference to the two skinned alive human beings at Nagasaki be a symbol whose call is to all scientists do no harm and whose communication to all scientists supersedes all other calls that they receive, whether those calls be from mammon or from a flag.